Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 8, Episode 52. Last week, I wrapped up the history found in the Book of Judges, a narrative that ends with a war between the Benjaminites and all the other tribes of Israel. Then, the allied tribes reshift their focus towards saving their Benjaminite brethren, at least the few that remained, saving them from extinction. A book that wraps with the phrase, Sigh implied. In those days, there was no king in Israel. All the people did what was right, in their own eyes. If you missed that episode, you should really go back and give it a listen. This week, I'm beginning the summary of Judges before shifting gears to the next book, Ruth. And with that, let's get started. Judges covers the period between the conquest of Canaan, described in the book of Joshua up until, almost, the establishment of a united kingdom of Israel, found in the books of Samuel. During this period, the Israelites were ruled, rather loosely, by people known as Judges, hence the chosen name. The book's narrative follows a consistent, and unfortunately repeated, pattern. The general progression is really a microcosm of the entirety of the Old Testament. First, the Israelite people are unfaithful to God. Because of this, they fall to their enemies. Realizing the error of their ways, the people repent and ask God for mercy. After this repentance, a judge emerges to lead the people, essentially delivering them from whoever the oppressor de jour was. Then they prosper but only until the cycle begins again. Thinking back to the end of the book of Joshua, just before he died, Joshua warned the Israelites about adopting Canaanite religious practices. That warning did not work for long, as Judges chapter 2 tells us that the Israelites worshipped the Baals, Canaanite deities, and mentioned in the plural, but I'm getting ahead of myself. The book is generally divided into three sections. The first is the introduction, sometimes called the prologue. In reality, it's a double prologue covering the first two-plus chapters. More on that in a minute. Next is the substantive middle section, which makes up the majority of the book, chapter 3 through the middle of 16. It's wrapped up with a double epilogue found in chapters 17 through 21. Chapter 1 is rich with history, so for the purposes of this summary of Judges, I'll paraphrase and try to condense. And a heads up, much of this history overlaps with the history found in Joshua, except for one difference, more on that later, maybe in the next episode. After the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked God, Who shall go up first against the Canaanites to fight against them? God answered that it should be the tribe of Judah. Judah then asked the tribe of Simeon for aid. Embedded in this, we're told that Judah was fighting the Canaanites for the territory allotted to them, implying all of the territory within Judah that had not yet been captured also indicating that the period after Joshua wasn't easy and that not much time had passed. Though, do note that some territory was captured in Joshua. Judah promises Simeon that if they help conquer Judean territory, the favor will be returned to capture their own allotment. 
Simeon takes Judah up on the offer, and they drive both the Canaanites and the Perizzites from the land, defeating 10,000 enemy soldiers at a place called Bezek, which was probably near Gezer. Here, they defeated a king named Adonit Bezek, and this king was likely very powerful, as he's said to have ruled over some 70 vassal kings. The king wasn't killed in the battle, but instead sent to Jerusalem, probably as a slave. He was apparently a particularly cruel despot. After defeating him, the army of Judah fought against Jerusalem and captured it. According to the text, they put the city to the sword and burned it, likely meaning they killed all the residents. Then, they fought against the Canaanites who lived in the hill country, in the Negeb, and in the lowland. Following this, Judah fought the Canaanites who lived in Hebron, then defeated Sheshai, Ahimon, and Talmai. After these victories, Judah captured the beer, with Caleb making a promise to whoever captured the city. Then a very shallow rabbit hole. The descendants of Hobab the Kenite, who were told was Moses' father-in-law, went with the people of Judah from the city of Palms into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the Negeb near Arad. Then these people settled with the Amalekites. After this brief diversion, the text takes us back to the plight of Judah, though it's there for a reason, to give context to much of what happens in the future. Judah went with Simeon, defeating the Canaanites who lived in Zephith. The allied tribes of Judah and Simeon destroyed the city, which may be one of several reasons why its location was lost. After this, the name of the city was changed to Hormah. Next, Judah captured Gaza, Ashkelon, and Ekron, along with the territory surrounding these three cities. Overall, Judah managed to control the hill country, but couldn't subdue an area referred to as the plain, meaning the valleys. We're told the people in the valley were unconquerable because they had iron chariots, It seems that the Philistines mastered iron before anyone else in the region and held on to the secret for as long as possible, recognizing the strategic advantage the metal gave them. These people in the valleys may have been Philistines, though the text isn't explicit. Back in Judges 1, Caleb captured Hebron, where they drove out the sons of Anak, meaning a group of giants as Anak was thought to be the forefather of the giant Anakim. But the Benjaminites did not defeat the Jebusites in Jerusalem, so the Jebusites continue to live in Jerusalem among the Benjaminites to this day, meaning when the book of Judges was written, at some point after the events it records. This is one of many indications in the text that some time had passed between the events and when they were actually recorded, at least in written form. That's also a different problem that I touched on earlier. Judah was said to have burned Jerusalem, but Benjamin couldn't capture it. Of course, Judah could have burned it, and some time passed, with the Jebusites reoccupying, but that isn't explicitly stated either. Next, the house of Joseph meaning the tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim, planned to fight the city of Bethel. 
We're given a bit of detail how this unfolded, detail that's missing from the account found in Joshua. The house of Joseph sent spies to Bethel. Then we're told its former name was Luz. When the spies saw a man coming out of the city, they said to him, Show us the way to the city, and we will deal kindly with you. So he showed them how to get into the city. The Josites put the city to the sword, but they let the man and all his family live. This unnamed man went to the land of the Hittites and built a city, naming it Luz. That is its name to this day. I touched briefly on this story when covering the book of Joshua. As for why it's recounted again in Judges, the likely explanation is that they are two slightly different versions of the same story. Less likely, they captured the city in Joshua, lost it, then recaptured it. Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Bethsheen, Tanuk, Dor, Ibleum, or Megiddo, or any of the villages surrounding these cities. Instead, they lived among these Canaanites, which would prove problematic and play into the repeated cycles in Judges. Later, when the Israelites were stronger, according to the text, they were able to enslave these Canaanites. Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. These Canaanites lived among the Ephraimites. The text does not say these Canaanites were enslaved. Next, we're told the tribe of Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants of Ketron or Nahalal, and that the Canaanites who lived there were enslaved. Though, in this case, it doesn't say how long afterwards this enslavement occurred. Likewise, Asher did not conquer a whole list of places, including Rehob. Instead, the tribe lived among the Canaanites, but apparently did not enslave them. Naphtali did not drive out the Canaanites in Beth Shemesh, or Beth Anath, but lived with them, and at some later point enslaved them. Next was Dan. The Amorites pressed the Danites back into the hill country. It did not allow them to come down to the plain, meaning that the Amorites continued to live in Haharez, Ajahan, and Shalbim though the tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim would eventually enslave the Amorites, at least those living in the region originally allotted to Dan. All of this preceding history found in Judges 1. What stands out to me is that it roughly aligns with the history found in Joshua, with extra details given about a few of the victories and defeats. What changes in these battles is that instead of fighting as a unified Israelite army, it was, in most cases, every tribe for themselves. Chapter 2 is a switching of gears. It begins with the bad news. God spoke to the Israelites, saying, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I had promised your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. For your part, do not make a covenant with the inhabitants of this land. Tear down their altars. But you have not obeyed my command. Then God told them, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become adversaries to you, and their gods shall be a snare to you. When the people heard this, they wept. 
Then the gears shift again. We're told that Joshua died. What's unclear is if the message from God was before or after Joshua passed. The end of the book of Joshua seems to indicate it was after, but the order of this book makes the opposite seem true. Yet another place where the text is less than clear. After recounting Joshua's death, we're back to the tribe's transgressions with a little more description. This time, they took to worshiping the Canaanite deity Baal, or in particular, the Baals, along with Astartes. They are also said to have abandoned God, which at this point seems a bit redundant. All of this stoking God's wrath. And things came about just as Moses and Joshua had warned the people they would. They were overtaken by an unnamed people said to have plundered them, along with being defeated by their enemies that surrounded them. But that wasn't all. God was so fed up with their disobedience that whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them, as they had been warned. They were in great distress, but he wasn't done with them. After this, the text tells us that God raised up judges who delivered the Israelites out from under those oppressing them. Sometimes it wasn't enough, as the people did not listen to their judges and instead lusted after and bowed to other gods. They soon turned from the way their ancestors had walked, ancestors who obeyed the commandments, with this generation failing to follow the example of those that had come before them. Then, we're given a little more detail into the cycle of oppression, mercy, leaders, then relapse. Whenever God brought up judges for the Israelites, God was with the judge, and the Lord delivered the people from the hand of their oppressors all the days of the specific judge. God was moved to pity by their groaning over those who had persecuted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they would revert and behave worse than their ancestors, following other gods, worshiping them, and bowing down to them. They would not cease any of their practices or stubborn ways. So God's anger was rekindled against Israel. And he said, Because these people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their ancestors and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out any of the nations that Joshua left when he died. In order to test Israel whether or not they would take care to walk in the way of the Lord, as their ancestors had, God had left those nations, not driving them out at once, and had not handed them over to Joshua. And that's the high note that Judges 2 leaves us with, the people continually failing to live up to their end of the covenant. Chapter 3 is a recounting of several of the non-Israelite nations remaining in Canaan. And at this point, it should be clear why I spent a year covering the history of the people, places, and things in Judges. The text is dense. Names that should be rather familiar by now. Specifically, five lords of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, the Hivites meaning that the Israelites lived among these people, along with the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Jebusites, all who would become a snare to them. And they made the snare worse by taking their daughters as wives for themselves. 
and giving their own daughters to the outsiders' signs, and they worshipped their gods. All of this setting the stage for what was to follow in the book of Judges. While still in chapter 3, we're given the name of the first judge, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. He came on the scene after the Israelites abandoned God and were conquered by Aram Naharam, to whom they were subservient for eight years. As a reminder, Caleb was a member of Judah and one of the spies sent by Moses to explore Canaan, who brought back the report that scared the Israelites enough for 40 years of wandering. He and Joshua were the only spies that urged an immediate taking of the promised land, and apparently the only ones who lived long enough to cross the Jordan as the Exodus concluded. Back in Judges, the events that occurred while Othniel was judge only take up a paragraph, and this is the last place he's mentioned in the Old Testament text. The cycle then repeated itself, and we're told that the Israelites turned away from God. King Eglon of Moab allied with the Ammonites and the Amalekites, then defeated the Israelites. Moab captured what was called the City of Palms. This was probably Jericho, as it's commonly called that name. But the identification as Jericho presents a problem, as in Joshua 6, the city was captured, then burned. And if that wasn't enough, Joshua cursed the city, saying, Cursed before the Lord be anyone who tries to build this city, this Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn, he shall lay its foundation, and at the cost of his youngest, he shall set up its gates. If the king of Moab captured Jericho, it would have only been after it was rebuilt. So, in a way, the curse came true. The Israelites would be ruled by King Eglon of Moab for 18 years. They cried out again, and Ehud, the son of Jerah, a Benjaminite, came forward as a judge. What happened next will have to wait until next week, as it's rather lengthy and I'm up against a deadline. Join me then as I press forward with the summary of Judges. You don't want to miss it. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. This week, help others to find the podcast by leaving a positive review on iTunes or wherever you get the podcast from. You can find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page so that it's easier to find later. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released and you don't miss out. Thanks for listening and have a great week.